What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Primetime Sports Podcast, hosted by Joey Maylari. So tonight, I'm going to have a quick episode, only till about probably 7.40-ish. Uh, so it'll be a 35-minute episode, a little bit unlike my usual, you know, one hour to one hour and a half uh, episodes. That won't be the same tonight. Usually my episodes are like, you know, one hour and a half, two hours almost sometimes. Uh, at least a lot of the time, actually, a lot of them two hours. But tonight won't be that. It will just probably be about 40 minutes. Uh, I have a intramural basketball game tonight, big intramural basketball game playoff game uh, for our co-rec team. So I'll be going to that. That game's at 8, so I'll be leaving here around 7.40. Uh, but before I do that, I'm going to talk about uh, things across college football. I'll talk about Ohio State-Michigan. There was a big game this past weekend. I'll give my college football playoff rankings, give you guys my picks for each conference uh, championship games. So the Big 12, Pac-12, SEC, ACC, Big 10, uh, and the MAC as well. I'll give you my predictions for all of those uh, conferences and who I think is going to win each of those games in the conference championships. I'll also touch upon the coaching carousel across college football. Talk very lightly about that. I'll go more in depth maybe in my podcast. Uh, since tonight, I want to really talk about some other things too. I'll talk about the NFL a little bit. Uh, the Jets winning this past weekend with Mike White as the starting quarterback. Zach Wilson, give my opinion on him. I don't think he makes another start for the Jets, uh, at least this season, maybe even in the future. I think, I think Zach Wilson's time with the Jets is done after a year and a half. But with that being said, I will compare him to the Russell Wilson situation in Denver, and I'll break down which situation I think is worse for either the Broncos or the Jets, and I'll give you my reason why. Uh, but ultimately, I think everyone's probably going to have the same opinion on that. I'm going to break down a lot of the numbers and stuff behind it, though. Uh, also talk about Trevor Lawrence. He led a crazy drive this past weekend down the field uh, for the Jags to beat the Ravens. Big win for Jacksonville over Baltimore. Baltimore, I think it's their fourth loss in the in the fourth quarter You know when they were leading. And I had a graphic on it, which I wanted to talk about very quickly, is that's their fourth loss of the season when they had a big lead. They were up 35-14 over Miami in week two with 12 minutes to go in the fourth quarter, lost that game. Up three touchdowns with 12 minutes to go, lost that game. They were up 20-3 over Buffalo at halftime with nine seconds to go in the second quarter in week four, lost that game. Then in it was week six against the Giants. They were up 20-10 with six minutes to go in the fourth quarter. They lost that game. And then lastly, week 11, this past weekend, uh, it was week 12, their 11th game of the season. Baltimore, 19-10, to they were up against Jacksonville, 5.59 to go. They ended up losing that game. And credit to Trevor Lawrence, I mean, he led a drive down the field that was honestly like vintage Brady to a degree. Like, I, I saw stints of vintage Brady in that Trevor Lawrence drive. He just went right down the field, marched right down. I was never the biggest Brady guy. Uh, over the past year or two, I've given him more respect. Maybe since he went to the Bucs, and I'd have to hear about him being on the Patriots and the Giants' losses and how the Patriots are always better than the Giants. Even though we did beat the Patriots twice in the Super Bowl, I always had to hear about how Brady was you know, getting the Patriots to the playoffs every year and the Giants found ways to lose every single year and have top draft picks. Brady going to the Bucs, I gained a little bit more respect for him over time. I'm more of a Brady guy now than I was then. I had, I had him in fantasy football last year. I have him in another league this year. So two straight years of having Brady in fantasy when I never had any Patriots really on my fantasy team. But Trevor Lawrence's last drive, I'm just going to break down what happened. Started out, incomplete pass with two minutes to go to Zay Jones in the two-minute warning. He's on the 25-yard line. He has to go 75 yards, right? Jacksonville finds themselves down by six points, or by seven points, actually. Uh, and Trevor Lawrence knows he's got to go down the field and get a touchdown. Second play, second and 10 with 159 to go on Jacksonville's 25-yard line. He sacks for an 11-yard loss, fumbles a ball. Calais Campbell hit that ball out. Calais Campbell, great defensive end. Still one of the best in the game of football now, even though he's not as good as he once was. Still a good player. Recovered by Jacksonville's offensive lineman. So Jacksonville takes that last time out, 151 to go 
and they find themselves in a third and 21 situation after that sack. Trevor Lawrence, which beginning of this episode was supposed to be college football. I just started talking to Trevor Lawrence. I'm just going to stay with it. So third and 21, Trevor Lawrence on his own 14-yard line, 151 to go, finds himself in a bad situation. And what does he do? Steps up in the pocket, throws a 16-yard rocket over the middle to Christian Kirk. 16-yard gain. Jackson finds themselves at 4th and 5 on their own 30 with 130 to go. And what does Trevor Lawrence do? Zips the ball to Marvin Jones for a 10-yard catch. Gets out of bounds, 130 to go. With that play, 130 to go, 4th and 5. Great catch by Zay Jones, gets him the first down. The clock actually keeps running. One away to go, Trevor Lawrence snaps the ball, first down, incomplete pass. 104 to go, second and 10. Trevor Lawrence was an absolute rocket. Once again, Christian Kirk's 17-yard gain, and this is where it gets interesting. Eight-yard gain on first and 10 on Baltimore's 43. To Zay Jones, he goes out of bounds, stops the clock. Then there's a false start of Jackson offensive lineman. Second and seven on Baltimore's 40 with 38 seconds to go. Biggest play of the game comes on third and six. Trevor Lawrence finds Zay Jones, a deep pass down the left field of the sideline, finds Zay Jones for a 29-yard catch on third and six on Baltimore's 39, puts Trevor Lawrence on the 10-yard on the line with 10 uh, yards to go, first and 10 on the 10-yard line, so first and goal with 18 seconds left. And what does he do with the clock running? Because the clock's running it. They, mind you, they don't have a timeout, Jacksonville. They used all three of them. On that last sack, they had to use it. Throws an absolute strike, a dot, a rifle, a rocket, a BB. You know all the words I've used now. Threw a rocket to Marvin Jones, right corner of the end zone. Great coverage by Baltimore secondary. I mean, that was great. I mean, they were all over Marvin Jones. Lawrence just found a way to get it over the top, right over the defensive back's helmet. Found Marvin Jones, touchdown. So now Baltimore finds themselves up by one point. Jacksonville has a chance to either kick the extra point, tie the game, go to overtime, or they have a chance to go for two and try to win the game. And what do they do? They did what the Giants did week one against Tennessee. They go for two, ends up working out. Trevor Lawrence finds Zay Jones, once again, throwing across the hash marks, across the field, finds Zay Jones doing an out route, gets a two-point conversion. Great throw by Trevor Lawrence. And you look at it, gets uh, Jackson with a lead. Lamar Jackson has 14 seconds to go. Somehow gets his team down the field to, to Jacksonville's 49-yard line. And most of that was by a 12-yard catch from Lamar Jackson uh, to all of one of his receivers. Uh, and if you look at it, Justin Tucker lining up. You know you always have a chance uh, with Justin Tucker lining up for a game-winning field. You know there's always a good chance he's going to make it. 67-yard field where he lines up for it and just barely misses. Probably was good from 65 yards. Lo and behold, though, look at Trevor Lawrence's stats. Unreal game, 29-37, to 78%. Completion percentage, 321 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. And if you look at it with the receivers he's doing it with, I mean, Zay Jones is a good receiver, not a great one. 11 catches for 145 yards, no touchdowns there. Threw a touchdown to Michael Hasty up the right sideline in a wheel route. Great throw there by Trevor Lawrence. I think that was his first passing touchdown of the game. Also hit Jamal Agnew for a touchdown. He was 5 for 37 on the touchdown. And then Marvin Jones, 3 for 22. Older receiver now, Marvin Jones, still can make big plays and got the touchdown. There's signs of vintage Brady in that drive there by Trevor Lawrence. And that's why I'm going to make this case. And I talked about it earlier in the year. Maybe my first or second episode. If I'm starting a franchise right now, and I know when we talk starting a franchise right now, that means building for 10 years to come. It doesn't mean who I want on my team right now if I want to win a Super Bowl. Because obviously a lot of Patriots are going to still pick Brady. Uh, there's still people that, even though Aaron Rodgers having a bad year, people might think Aaron Rodgers is in the right situation to take Aaron Rodgers. Probably not, considering they've lost a lot of the years now. Over the last three or four years, they've been the best team in the NFC and found ways to lose in the playoffs. 
Rodgers probably would not be my pick. But there's still a lot of ways you go about it because you could still take an older quarterback and say, okay, I can take a year out of it and maybe still win. But if I'm building for the future right now, Patrick Mahomes my first pick. Second pick, a lot of people going to have Josh Allen. Some people going to have Justin Herbert. My second pick is Trevor Lawrence. I'm taking Trevor Lawrence, second pick. Trevor Lawrence is my second pick if I'm starting a franchise right now to build around. And I think if you look at him, he's the golden you know, child of football in high school. Everyone knew he was going to be the number one recruit when he was in eighth grade. Everyone knew he was going to be the first pick in the draft. By the time he got to Clemson, won a national championship with Clemson, had the only undefeated season in college football at that time. Obviously, had Clemson be one of the best teams in the country in all three years he was there. He ends up leaving after his third year, after his junior year. Clemson goes down, uh, obviously takes a dip with DJ Lele as their quarterback. Still even had a bad year this year. A bad year for Clemson is being you know, the eighth and ninth team in the country, considering they're always you know, a cultural playoff team. Being a cultural playoff team and being the eighth and ninth team in the country, being out of the cultural playoff, is a disappointment. And Trevor Lawrence always had them in the top three or four. So when they lose Trevor Lawrence, that's a big loss. And if you look at what he's doing now, with Jacksonville, 16 passing touchdowns of six picks in 11 games, 2,655 passing yards, also added 179 rushing yards on the ground to go on three rushing touchdowns. So 19 total touchdowns in 11 games, very impressive. And I'm going to get a stats open for him last year because I know Trevor Lawrence, everyone was saying, oh, Trevor Lawrence was struggling last year, he was struggling. Yeah, but you look what he was throwing to and the offensive line he had and obviously the coaching was a mess with Urban Myers, the head coach. There's obviously a lot of uh, controversy in the locker room and a, a lot of uh, issues around Trevor Lawrence. And especially considering he's a young quarterback being the first pick of the draft, there's going to be a lot of pressure on you. And then you add the pressure of having that situation with Urban Meyer being around us. You didn't have a good head coach. Obviously not having a great offensive line around you. Travis Etienne being the 25th overall pick in the draft. Terry's Achilles in the offseason or in the preseason, and you don't even have him for the regular season. I mean, there was a lot around Trevor Lawrence last year. Last year, only 12 touchdowns to 17 picks with a 59% completion percentage. Now you look at what Doug Peterson's done. 67% completion percentage, nearly 66.5% completion percentage for Trevor Lawrence on the year. 2,655 passing yards, 16 touchdowns, 6 picks with a 93.9, or excuse me, 93.6 passer rating on the year. What do you have last year? 12 touchdowns to 17 picks. This year, 16 touchdowns to 6 picks. Very impressive. And you look at what he's done his last few games. Trevor Lawrence's last three games, six passing touchdowns, no picks, with a 109, 106.1, and a 129.8 passer rating to go along with an 80.6% completion percentage against the Raiders on November 6th, against the Chiefs on November 13th, 259 passing outs, two touchdowns, a 106.1 passer rating, and a 72.5 completion percentage. And then against Ravens this weekend, which I told you guys about, 78% completion percentage, 321 yards, three touchdowns, and a 129 0.8 passer rating. So very impressive. So if I'm starting a franchise right now, it's Patrick Mahomes, Trevor Lawrence, and my number three is Joe Burrow. And a lot of people gonna have, obviously, with how good of a year Josh Allen's had overall, he's been playing great. His last few games, not that great for Josh Allen. Obviously, he's been struggling heavily. But if you look at Josh Allen's year overall, 23 touchdowns, 11 picks. His last two seasons, 36 touchdowns, 15 picks in 2021 to go along with 4,400 passing yards and a 92.2 uh, passer rating. In 2020, 37 touchdowns and 10 picks with 4,544 passing yards and a 107.2 passer rating. Very impressive last two seasons for Josh Allen. And I like Josh Allen. My sister's the biggest fan of Josh Allen. Uh, and even my dad likes him as well. So I like Josh Allen. I'm not against him. But I think the last few games for the Bills is something to worry about. I don't think this is just like, oh, it's a bad stint for Josh Allen. I've seen regression in Josh Allen his last few games. And if you look at it at the end of the day, 
you're not going to be playing your best football every single game. You're not going to be throwing, you know, three touchdowns every game, no picks. That's just not likely. Obviously, you're going to have bad games. That's just part of the NFL. It's part of sports in general. You're going to have bad games. But considering now the Bills are, I mean, they're 2-2 two two in the last four games, but at one point in a two-game uh, losing streak, losing to the Jets 20-17, to losing to Zach Wilson on November 6th at the Jets, and then also losing to Minnesota 33-30 in a high-scoring game on November 13th. Then in Week 11, beating the Browns. Browns are not a great team at all, but beating them 31-23. And then beating the Lions this week, barely 28-25 on Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving morning was a 12 o'clock game. I think it was 12.30 kickoff. But considering they've been struggling so much over the last few games, I mean, you need better progress out of your quarterback, Josh Allen. I mean, if you look at Josh Allen's first, let's see. And I want to give you a breakdown of how his season's gone. Josh Allen's first seven games a season. 19 touchdowns, six picks, with five fumbles, two of them being lost, and a 105.9 passer rating. Josh Allen's last four games. Four touchdowns of five picks with 985 passing yards and four fumbles with one of them being lost and three rushing touchdowns. So if you look at a per-game rate, passing-wise, over his last three games, or his last four games, 246 passing yards per game. You look at his first seven games of the year, he was averaging 314 passing yards per game, 2,198 passing yards, with 19 touchdowns of six picks. Along with... Five fumbles, as I said, but also added two rushing touchdowns. Two of those being lost of those fumbles. But his last four games, you've seen a heavy, heavy regression. Four fumbles, one of them being lost. Four touchdowns to five picks. Four touchdowns to five picks compared to the 19 touchdowns to six picks he had earlier in the season, the first seven games. The last four games, he's averaging 246 passing yards compared to the 314 passing yards he was averaging before that. And if you look at the last four games, the four touchdowns to five picks... If you took that four-game rate and made it a per-17 game uh, rate, so basically taking all the stats in the last four games and compiling what it would be in a full 17-game season, it would be 17 touchdowns to 21 picks with 17 fumbles and four fumbles lost. So 17 total fumbles and four of them being lost. That's a heavy regression for Josh Allen with a 60.96 completion percentage over the last four games. And you look at what it was in the first uh, seven games of the season, 65.53 passer rating. And you look at the Bills' record was six and one. Now what they are in the last four games, two and two. So I do think it is something to worry about for the Bills. And I think this weekend could be a, this Thursday night. Actually, not even this weekend. A couple days from now, I think this Thursday night could be a tough game for the Bills. I think the Patriots are going to split with the Bills. Whether they win this game, uh, whether the Patriots win this game and beat the Bills later on in the year, uh, when the Patriots go to the Bills, I think the Bills lose this game on Thursday night. I think they're in for regression. I think this team obviously had Von Miller go down with an injury. They had Tredavis White come back. Obviously from an injury, Tony ACL last year was a big upgrade having him back. Obviously had a great year to Matt Milano. Josh Allen had a great year overall, but is now struggling with his last four games. Stephon Diggs, one of the best receivers in the game. There's a lot of good things about this Bills team, but considering how the last four games have gone and how I feel about them, I think it's something to worry about. I think this Bills team has reached a point where they have to worry. Considering they only beat the Lions 28-25 this past weekend and only beat the... Cleveland Browns by an eight-point game. That's a one-possession game. The last four games are all one-possession games, and they're two and two in them. Losing to the Jets by three, losing to Minnesota by three, beating Cleveland by eight, and beating the Lions only by three on Thanksgiving Day. So that's something to worry about. The beginning of this episode wasn't even supposed to be about 
football, really, Trevor Lawrence and that. It was really supposed to be about college football, and then I'd get into the MLB and also talk a little bit about what I have uh, for the college football playoff. But now I'm going to stay on the topic of the NFL really quick. Talk about the Jets, a 7-4 in the year. Most wins have had since 2019. Mike White, 22 of 28 passing with 3-15 to 15 passing yards and 3 touchdowns. And here's the thing with Zach Wilson. Mike White's playing well, so I think it's putting the Jets in a tough situation. And I know ESPN was talking about this the other day on First Take, or was Get Up with Dan Olofsky. Uh Greeny was great. Mike Greenberg's great at what he does. Uh, and then you also had Dominique Foxworth, Ryan Clark, uh, and Dan Olofsky all in the studio together. And I liked a lot what they were saying about this Jets team. They were saying, I mean, you know, they were split on whether or not Zach Wilson would make another start for the Jets. But what they were consistent on for the most part was this isn't a great situation for the Jets. Mike White is playing great, so you can't take him out. And you want to win games. They're 7-4. You want to win games. But considering you took Zach Wilson second in the draft in 2021, so only a year, and a, a year ago now, a year and a half ago, you took him second pick in the draft out of BYU, you didn't want Zach Wilson to be the great quarterback he should be considering you spent the second pick on him. But you're in a bad predicament right now. And I think Zach Wilson's issue is maturity. Truly, I think Zach Wilson's issue is maturity. They were 5-2 and two on the year with him as their starting quarterback. Uh, and considering the two losses he had to Bill Belichick, he's game-planned great against Zach Wilson over the years. You take Zach Wilson's game against the Patriots away from week 8 it was, when they lost 22-17 to against the Patriots. Zach Wilson on the air, two touchdowns, two picks. When you got overall now, it's four touchdowns, five picks. Also a rushing touchdown in week 2, or week 5 against the Miami Dolphins, because he missed the first four games of the season with an injury. But Robert Sala had to make a decision. It was ultimately to bench Zach Wilson. And you look what Zach Wilson did as a rookie last year. Nine touchdowns to 11 picks. Added in uh, a 55.6% completion percentage, which he has this year as well, so he's consistent there. Uh, and also had a 179.5 yards per game rate. Uh, overall, 2,334 passing yards. With one game-winning drive. He has two game-winning drives this year and one fourth-quarter comeback this year. But the Jets overall, I think the statistics, statistic was, overall... Since Zach Wilson took over as quarterback, I think they have four three-touchdown games. And Zach Wilson doesn't have one of them. Zach Wilson does not have one of their four-touchdown games. Or one of their uh, three-touchdown games. And what I mean by that is I think it means by a single player, uh, quarterback-wise, who has uh, three-touchdown games as a quarterback with the Jets since the start of the 2021 season. Zach Wilson only has one of them. And I believe it was last year. Let me get his game while I go from 2021. I want to make sure I'm right here. Last year, he had, oh, no three touchdown games, actually. Hold on here. I'm looking at it. I don't think he had three touchdown game at all in his career. So the four, I think it was four touchdown, oh, uh, no, false. He had a three touchdown game in week 13 of the season. Last year, when they played the Eagles, lost uh, 33-18. Zach Wilson had two passing touchdowns and a rushing touchdown. Uh, so I was wrong about that. But overall, He's only had one three-touchdown game as a quarterback in the NFL, making how many starts over his career here? Let me make sure I get this right here. I want to be right. Making 20 starts. He's only had one three-touchdown game. Mike White has one of them, and then between Joe Flacco and whoever the other starting quarterback was, I believe it was Joe Flacco, Joe Flacco might have the other two, which let me make sure about that as well. Since I always want to be right about what I'm saying here. And Joe Flacco only had five touchdowns and three picks, so better year so far, obviously, than Zach Wilson's had. He had a four-touchdown game in Week 2 against Cleveland. They had 31-30 win for the Jets over Cleveland. Flacco was a lead in that game. 307 passing yards, four touchdowns, no picks. Also added in uh, 
a what's this? A 110.7 passer rating. So very impressive. But I want to look at his game log from 2021 as well. Uh, he also had a two passing touchdown game in 2021 against Miami. So considering the Jets only had three three touchdown games by their quarterbacks over the last uh, you know year and a half now, one's by Zach Wilson, two are by Mike White, I believe, and then one is by Joe Flacco. So you draft Zach Wilson second overall to be that guy. You drafted him to be that guy. And if you look at it, his career now, I mean, he's struggled. And I think the thing with Zach Wilson is maturity. Yes, so the Jets have had four games by quarterbacks with three touchdowns or more, whether it's you know combined passing or rushing. Two by Mike White. He had a three-touchdown game against the Chicago Bears last year in Week 12, and the Jets win 31-10 over the Chicago Bears at home. He had 3-15 passing outs in that game, so he has two, three-touchdown games. Joe Flacco has one, and Zach Wilson has the other. But you draft Zach Wilson to be the guy. And if you look at it, He's not that guy, and I think the thing is maturity. And now I'm going to compare. What is worse off? What team is left worse in a worse situation? Is it the Seattle Seahawks? Oh, not Seattle Seahawks. Seattle Seahawks made a great trade. Is it the Denver Broncos trading for Seattle Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson in March in the offseason? Sending Drew Locke, Noah Fant, Shelby Harris, two first-round picks in 2022, one of those being the ninth overall pick, and then also a 2023 first-round pick, which currently is the third pick in the draft. Two second-round picks in 2022. One of them was the 40th overall pick. And then in 2023, and then also added a fifth-round selection in the 2022 draft. For Russell Wilson, a fourth-round pick. So all in all, the Broncos got two first-round picks, two second-round picks, a fifth-round pick, Drew Locke. So potentially, I mean, he's a backup quarterback considering Geno Smith's playing so well. Noah Fant, a starting tight end, and Shelby Harris, a good defensive end. A good defense alignment for that Seahawks team. For Russell Wilson in a fourth-round pick. And if you look at what Seattle got in return, that's a great deal for Seattle. Unreal deal for Seattle. And you look at what Seattle traded. They traded two years of Russell Wilson with $51 million left on his four-year $140 million deal. And what did Denver do immediately when they got Russell Wilson? They signed up to a new contract. And putting themselves even deeper now. Putting themselves even deeper. He signed a five-year, $242.5 million contract. Five years, $242 million contract. And how many of that was guaranteed, you might ask? $124 million of that was guaranteed. So Russell Wilson's cap hit this year is only $17 million. But progressively over time, in 2023, it's a $22 million cap hit. 2024, a $35.4 million cap hit. In 2025, Russell Wilson is holding a $55 million cap hit. 2026, it gets even worse. When he's 38 years old, a $58.4 million cap hit. 2027 at 39 years old, $53.4 million cap hit. In 2028, the last year of this deal, Russell Wilson holds at a 40-year-old, as a 40-year-old quarterback, Russell Wilson will hold in 2028 a $54.4 million cap hit. So... All in all, Denver set themselves up for the future, and they went all in. They set themselves up, went all in. They set themselves up for failure now. Considering how bad of a year Russell Wilson's had, he does not look good at all. You look at Russell's statistics on the year, he's looked abysmal. Abysmal. Eight touchdowns of five picks with only 
2,369 passing yards. He's averaging 20, uh, 236 passing yards per game, which somehow is better than his uh, rate last year. He averaged 22, uh, 222 passing yards per game last year, but added in 25 touchdowns, six picks. He had a 103.5 passer rating last year, 103.505. So I'm sorry if I'm getting that wrong. 103.05 passer rating last year. This year, 82.3 passer rating. The lowest of his career by far. His other career lowest before this was in 2016, 92.58. Eight touchdowns on the year with five picks. And you look at it overall, I mean, they're not winning games. He has five fumbles on the year. He only had six last year as a whole. He has five this year. Denver's not winning games. Denver's not winning games. They find themselves right now, I believe, at 3-7. and seven. And if you look at it, you sent all of that draft capital, two first-round picks, two second-round picks, a fifth-round pick, a starting defensive end, a starting tight end, and then was supposed to be Drew Locke, BC out of starting quarterback, or at least compete with Geno Smith. He ends up being the backup. But you look all in all, I mean, Denver set themselves up now for the future to just be a bad football team. They're 3-8 and eight on the year. Three and eight, one and uh, five away, two and three at home. They've lost their last three games. Only have one hundred fifty-seven points per uh, one hundred fifty-seven points on the season as a whole, and no other team is worse than that. They have the least amount of points per game on the season as a whole. And I saw a statistic the other day that if Seattle scored twenty points, or if Denver scored twenty points in each of their games this season, they would have a much better record. If Denver somehow scored twenty points per game. I think the graphic was was that if they scored 20 points per game, they would somehow have, like, I think it was a 7-4 record or something because their defense is playing very well. Let me see if I can get that statistic. But Denver went all in on Russell Wilson. And at the end of the day, the reason why Denver is going to be in a bad situation for the future is because all the draft capital they gave up and then also how much money they gave in Russell Wilson. And that's why I wanted to compare the Wilson situations. Zach Wilson's situation for the Jets, obviously, yes, they took him second overall, took him over Justin Fields and Trey Lance and Mac Jones. But that situation isn't as bad, considering they can get out of Zach Wilson in a year and a half, in a year and a half left. I mean, after this year ends, of two more years left of his deal guaranteed. They're not going to pick up his fifth-year option. I'd imagine they could even move him right now, probably for third or fourth-round pick just based on potential. I think Zach Wilson's is- issue right now is his maturity. I think Zach Wilson has to mature. I think Zach Wilson has to mature. I think that's the problem. But at the end of the day, you're not going to get maturity from Zach Wilson as a you know backup quarterback. He probably needs time, obviously. Maybe in a system where the team's not 7-4, the Jets are winning games right now, you're not going to play him when they're winning games. And maybe if you look at it, I mean, he probably ends up somewhere else, third or fourth round pick, a team that's rebuilding, and they just take a shot at him sending a fourth round pick. Like Carolina did, just send a draft pick over to the Jets to try to get uh, – Sam Donald, just to see what they can get out of him. But Russell Wilson and the Broncos have just been abysmal this year. Abysmal. And I was trying to look for that statistic of what their record would be on the year if they scored 20 points or more in every game. And I'm not finding it. Okay, the Broncos right now are averaging 14.1 points per game. In 2020, they averaged 19.8 points per game and 19.3 points per game. And I saw a regression in Russell Wilson last year. So I knew he was going to have a down year this year. I didn't see high expectations for him like everyone else did. Everyone thought they were going to win the Super Bowl and they were going to go on a run. I did not see that team being good enough. Regardless of Russell Wilson's plan, I did not think Russell Wilson was on the uptrend of his career. When I did my quarterback rankings with the sports guru, Mike Hurley, I believe I had Russell Wilson at 13 to 14. I had him behind Daniel Jones, which everyone was coming at me over that. 
Joey would take Daniel Jones and Russell Wilson. Yes, I would. And considering all the quarterbacks I would take right now if I'm starting a franchise, which I want to just give my breakdown really quick, Patrick Mahomes, Trevor Lawrence, Joe Burrow, then it would be, in no particular order, Lamar Jackson would probably be the fourth. And then I would be called crazy for saying Daniel Jones over Josh Allen. But I'll go Josh Allen for Daniel, over Daniel Jones right now just based off of scoring potential and everything. But with the way Josh Allen's regressed over the last few games, I think by week 18 it won't be crazy if Daniel Jones can continue the path he's been on considering he's been throwing to no one at receiver. I don't think it'll be that crazy to say Daniel Jones is in that conversation. I think when you do the echelon tears of every quarterback, I think obviously Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, they're all in the upper echelon of quarterbacks in the NFL. But I think Daniel Jones is in that class right below it. So if I'm breaking down quarterbacks I'm breaking, I'm drafting for the future right now, and I might be called crazy for this. At the end of the day, I have a podcast right here to just get, just get my thoughts out. At the end of the day, not everyone is going to be great. And that's the beauty of talking sports. I mean, no one's going to be right all the time. But if I'm drafting a team right now, it's Patrick Mahomes 1 based on quarterbacks. I'm not taking into account defensive ends and left tackles and wide receivers and all that and running backs and uh, everything else. But based on quarterbacks, who I'm taking for the future right now, number one, Patrick Mahomes. I don't think it's close. Number two, Trevor Lawrence. Number three, Joe Burrow, number four, Lamar Jackson. And I was going to say no particular order, but I'll go Josh Allen at five. Justin Herbert, Daniel Jones, 6A slash 6B. And I'll go Justin Herbert just ahead of Daniel Jones once again here, even though I think Daniel Jones is in that class. Just based off of statistics. And at the end of the day, I'm not all into statistics. I think Daniel Jones' value is a lot higher than what his stats show, considering what he plays with as wide receivers right now, what he's had to deal with. Uh, over the last few years, uh, now this is his third head coach, his fourth offensive coordinator. He's had a bottom uh, three offensive line in the NFL in two of his three years in the NFL heading into this year. And then you also add in all the injuries around him over the years. Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram always battling injuries. Saquon Barkley, Kenny Galladay getting that four-year $72 million contract, not playing up to the potential that he's supposed to. I think if I'm ranking quarterbacks right now, it goes Mahomes, Lawrence, Burrow, Jackson, Allen, Herbert, Jones. I think Jones is in that class, though. Of that second tier. I think right now, if I'm trying to build a team to win a Super Bowl, the upper echelon of quarterbacks, of young quarterbacks that I'm going to build around, it is Mahomes, which he's not considered young, I guess, anymore because he's been in the league for a while now, but I'll go Mahomes, Lawrence, Burrow, and then that second tier is Jackson, Allen, Jones, Herbert. Call me crazy at the end of the day. I'm standing by it. And so, just to say one last time, the Broncos situation of... What they gave up to get Russell Wilson, all the money they gave him, they're in a much worse situation than Zach Wilson put the Jets in. Much worse. So now, I mean, I only have about five minutes left, so what can I do in five minutes here uh, before closing out the episode? There's a lot of things I want to talk about. Uh, maybe I save the college football talk, the Ohio State-Michigan, my college football playoff rankings, uh, and my conference championship talk, and the coaching carousel in college football for my podcast. Uh, upload that maybe this weekend. Uh, I'll save that for this weekend, maybe for the college football uh, championship games, conference championship games. Uh, so I'll save that for this weekend. That'll just be a college football playoff uh, and college football conference championship special. I'm going to give some talk to the MLB free agency right now uh, and just give a few quick predictions for where I think guys are going to end up. So first off, the most aggressive team so far in free agency has been the LA Angels. They got Gio Urshela, Hunter Renfro, and Tyler Anderson. Very aggressive approach. I like it. I think if you want to build around Shohei Otani and Mike Trout the right way, you have to get pitching around them and also add some everyday position players around them that can help them win games. 
And if you look at it, I mean, the seventh through ninth spots in that Angels lineup is a huge weakness. I mean, yes, you could have Luis Ronjifo and Mike Trout and Shohei Otani and Andrew Velasquez and Max, uh, forgetting the name now, uh, but you can have uh, Fletcher, it was, David Fletcher. You can have all those guys in the high, pie, hot, high part of your lineup. David Fletcher, Mike Trout, Shoritani. You can have them in the you know, one through four part of your lineup, right? But that doesn't mean your seven through nine is going to be great. And now they're adding pieces to make that lineup better. Gio Urshel, Hunter Renfro, both great additions. Tyler Anderson makes their rotation better. They gave him three years, $39 million. 15-5 record last year with a 2.57 ERA, a 1.002 whip, and 30 appearances with 28 starts for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Very good addition for that Angels rotation. They get Hunter Renfro, had a 2.55 batting average with 29 home runs, and 8.07 OPS last year for the Brewers after being traded to Milwaukee from the Red Sox in exchange for Jackie Bradley Jr. and prospect Alex Pinellas. And now, if you look at it, this would be Hunter Renfro's fifth team in five years. Fifth team in the last five years. He played for the Padres in 2019. He was a longtime Padre. His last season being in 2019 with the Padres. Played in 2020 with the Rays. 2021 with the Red Sox. 2022 with the Brewers. And now 2023 with the Angels. So five teams in five years for Renfro. But he's a very good player. Had 530 home run seasons, I believe, overall, I was reading. So he's a great addition to that lineup. And considering his power, or he has 230 home run seasons over his last five but his last five seasons, 2020 being a short season, so I'm not going to consider that. In 2017, 2018, 2019, 2021, and 2022, he had five seasons of 25 or more home runs. But in 42 games played in 2020, only at eight. I'm not really going to consider that. That was a short season. But his last five full seasons in the MLB, 2017 through 2019, and then in 2021 and 2022, he had 25 or more home runs. So very impressive. Uh, and he obviously adds power to that lineup. It already has some power, obviously, with Mike Trump and Shelly Otani. Then they had Gio Urshela. 285 batting average last year with 13 home runs in a 767 OPS in 144 games for the Twins last year after being traded to Minnesota with Gary Sanchez from the Yankees for Josh Donaldson, Isaiah Kainafaleffa. That makes that lineup obviously better with Renfro and Urshel, and obviously rotation gets better than Tyler Anderson. Josh Abreu, uh, Jose Abreu, excuse me. I just saw the Josh Donaldson uh, name in my notes, so I messed that up. But Jose Abreu, three years, $60 million. He signed with Houston uh, yesterday. Had a three or four batting average with 15 home runs last year. Obviously makes that lineup better. He's probably going to be the sixth or seventh guy in that lineup, in that Astros lineup, which is crazy to say. But they're so deep. Jeremy Pena, Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, uh, Yuli Gurriel, uh, Jordan Alvarez. I mean, they're so deep overall, which Gurriel actually may drop out of that lineup now, but they're so deep that now he's probably going to be the sixth or seventh hitter in that lineup. Kyle Tucker as well in there. It's just crazy to say they're that deep that Jose Abreu, former MVP, I believe it was in the 2020 season, he was the MVP of the AL. He ends up being the sixth or seventh hitter in that lineup, probably sixth overall. He'll be the sixth uh, guy in that lineup. He did win the MVP in 2020. He's a three-time All-Star as well and was also the Rookie of the Year in the American League in 2014. So, very good hitter. And you add that to a lineup that's already explosive enough. Justin Verlander, speaking of the Astros, their ace. Met with the Dodgers yesterday. Still has to meet with the Mets and the Yankees as well. And I'm going to give my prediction where I think he's going to go, but I do think he is leaving Houston. I'm going to give my predictions in a minute. Miguel Cabrera will retire after the 2023 season. Cabrera, five home runs with a 254 batting average last year in 2022 for the Tigers. Two-time MVP, 12-time All-Star, seven-time Silver Slugger, 2003 World Series champion with the Miami Marlins, the Florida Marlins at the time. Four-time batting title winner in 15 years with Detroit. 
369 home runs, 1,324 batting, uh, uh, runs batted in with a 306 batting average and a 900 OPS flat. One of the best to ever do it, and for sure a Hall of Famer. His last season in the MLB will be this upcoming season. Obviously, Albert Pujols retired after the 2022 season. That was losing a legend, and now we're losing another legend after next year. When we lose, Miguel Cabrera. And considering last year the MLB probably thought Cabrera was going to retire after this year, they made Cabrera and Pujols honorable all-stars for the American League and the National League. So, obviously, Pujols was going out. They knew that. With St. Louis being in the NL, they add him to the NL lineup, and then they added Cabrera to the American League roster for the uh, All-Star Games. They said, you know, why not go one-on-one? Two legends, and obviously they deserve it. So, now I'm going to give my predictions really quick. It's probably going to be very fast, considering we have a couple minutes. Got to be out here latest by 7.44. So, the big free agents on the market right now, heading into free agency, or the first day of free agency. I mean, free agency already started, but... Uh, the first day of free agency, there were a couple moves. Team, guys opting out, obviously, out of contracts, opting out of their last year of options. And then, obviously, guys uh, you know, not getting their mutual options picked up. There's a lot of free agents now on the market. And now this is the big time for free agents to start signing is over the next few weeks. Obviously, winter meetings coming this weekend. Guys are going to start signing really quick after that, I'm sure. And then even, it'll even go into spring training. But the biggest free agents in the market, Trey Turner, Jacob DeGrom, Aaron Judge, Justin Verlander, Carlos Rodon, Xander Bogats, and then Carlos Correa and Dansby Swanson. Those are your, your 10 big free agents right there. So now I'm going to get my predictions. So I got Xander Bogats returning to the Red Sox in a five-year, $140 million deal. I think the Phillies are a team to look out for there. I do have Trey Turner going to the Phillies, and that's why I end up not having Xander Bogats go there. But he's a team, uh, he's a guy to watch out for to go to the Phillies. Obviously, the Phillies made the World Series last year, and they have Dave Dombrowski, a very aggressive president of baseball operations who is not afraid to spend money right now to win and is not afraid to make a big trade to try to win right now. And as you've seen that in the past, them signing Kyle Schrober, Nick Castellanos, the Phillies trading for uh, Brendan Marsh and Noah Syndergaard of the trade deadline, David Robinson. He's not afraid to make a big move. And that's why I think Xander Bogots to the Phillies, there is a chance that happens. Justin Verland, I have him going to the Dodgers on a three-year $95 million contract. Coming off his best season, or one of his best seasons of his career, the American League Cy Young, for some reason, I think he's done in Houston. So it would be between the Dodgers, the Mets, and the Yankees, and I have him going to the Dodgers. Since they're not afraid to spend money, and they always want to win, the Dodgers are not afraid to spend money and try to make a big uh, player signing. And at the end of the day, I think he has a chance of going there. And they met with him yesterday, and who knows when that meeting went, but I do think his time with Houston is done. Judge, I have him going to the San Francisco Giants on a 10-year, $355 million contract, maybe three sixty, dollars so $36 million roughly per year. The Giants only have $18.5 million committed beyond 2023. So they have crazy flexibility, and at the end of the day, I think he could go to the San Francisco Giants, and they were my number one team heading into the offseason, heading into the playoffs. I had him going either the Giants or the Yankees, and they had the Giants at number one, and then the Yankees right around there. But I think he goes to the Giants in a 10-year deal. And obviously, at the end of the day, they're going to be chewing years 8, 9, and 10 of that deal just to get the current talent of Aaron Judge for the first five or six years. And that's fine. Uh, teams do that in baseball. You send longer contracts with the intent of having that guy you know, on that deal at the prime of his career for the first five to six years. And obviously, you know he's going to tail off. Jacob DeGrom, four years, $148 million to return to the Mets. Watch out for the Rangers and the Dodgers. I do think the Dodgers end up getting Verlander or at least another uh, quality starter. Maybe it's Carlos Rodon. I have DeGrom returning to the Mets. A surprise team, though, in my opinion, is the LA Angels. 
I don't think they're done spending money. I think they want to build around Otani and Trout, so Otani wants to stay. And if you look at it, the Mets also could be losing uh, Chris Bassett and Taiwan Walker as well. So they're going to want to spend money somewhere on pitching. I think DeGrom stays on a four-year, $148 million deal. Trey Turner, I have him going to the Phillies on a seven-year, $245 million contract. Could also be the San Francisco Giants. I think they're going to spend heavy money in free agency, but I have another shortstop going there. My number one free agent overall isn't Aaron Judge. It isn't Aaron Judge. It isn't Jacob Degrom. It isn't uh, Dansby Swanson, Carlos Correa, Carlos Rodon, Xander Bogats. It isn't Justin Verlander. It's Trey Turner. He's my number one free agent. I have him going to the Philadelphia Phillies, a seven-year, two hundred forty-five million dollar deal. Dansby Swanson. I have him staying with Atlanta on a five-year, one hundred forty million dollar contract. I think he's good. Slightly overrated. I think he's a good player though, uh, but I don't think he's worth you know. The money he thinks he should get, the money he's probably going to get. I don't know if he's worth that, but he's going to get five years, 140 in my predictions to the Braves to stay in Atlanta. Obviously, he was a big part of that team winning in 2021, so they want to keep him there. Carlos Correa, I have him leaving the Minnesota Twins. He signed a three-year, $105 million uh, deal with the Twins last offseason to leave the Astros. Opted out after the first year, which we knew he would do to re-enter the market when Turner and Bogots and Swanson would be free agents. I think he goes to San Francisco on a seven-year, $210 million contract. He could be back in Minnesota since they have money to spend and want to build around him. But I think at the end of the day, he wants to go to a team that has a chance to win right now. I think San Francisco in the future, considering how much money they can spend if they were to get Aaron Judge and Correa, that's a great bolster to their lineup. Uh, and they already have some young guys as well, Mikey Shremsky in there as well. They have some young pieces to build around. So we'll see what happens there. And the last prediction I have is Carlos Rodon to the Baltimore Orioles. Four years, $110 million. Baltimore needs to start spending money at some point. They have a window right now, a window of winning opportunity for the next five to seven years for how good their farm system is uh, and how good their young core is right now in the major league club. They have a chance to win right now. They have to start spending money, and I think they will spend uh, on a big free agent. That's one of my big predictions for free agency in the MLB. Of those guys I just named, I would hope the Orioles are going to sign one. If not, the Orioles are going to make a big splash or two in free agency, in my opinion. I would give my Sox free agent predictions, but I do have to run, unfortunately. So I'll give that maybe my next podcast. Uh, maybe I'll give it really quick. Sox free agents, Xander Bogats, Nate Evaldi, Rich Hill, J.D. Martinez, Michael Walker, Tommy Pham, and Matt Strom. I figure I'll give it really quick while I'm talking MLB free agency. I have Evaldi returning to the Red Sox on a four-year, $105 million deal. I get Rich Hill coming back to the Red Sox on a two-year, $18 million deal. I get Xander Bogats coming back to the Red Sox on a five-year, $140 deal. I get J.D. Martinez going to the Chicago White Sox. Replacing Jose Abreu maybe as a designated hitter. He probably won't be playing first base. But maybe as a designated hitter on a three-year, $54 million deal. And then I have Michael Walker going to the Mets since they're going to be losing probably Bassett and Taiwan Walker. And who knows, maybe Jacob deGrom on a three-year, $75 million deal. That may be an overpay, but that's how I value Walker right now. Christian Vasquez, Red Sox catcher for a long time. They traded to the Astros in the trade deadline. He's a free agent. Who knows if he'll return. No predictions there, but I think the Red Sox should target relief pitching. And a few guys they should target, uh, Taylor Rogers and David Robinson to help the bullpen. Obviously, Robinson had a good year with the Phillies after being traded to the Phillies from the Angels, or uh, traded to the Phillies from the Cubs. Uh, I'm high on him, and I think at the end of the day, the Red Sox could never have enough bullpen help, even if Garrett Whitlock is in the rotation. You throw Tanner Houck in the bullpen or whatever it may be. It looks like Houck and Whitlock will both be in the rotation, but... No matter what the bullpen looks like, and no matter if Whitlock's in the rotation or not, the Red Sox need help in the bullpen, and that's just a reality. Anyways, thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. As always, I appreciate it. I want to give a few quick shout-outs. Shout-out Auntie Lisa. Shout-out to the Keefs. Shout-out to the Loftus family. 
Shout out to the whole O'Malley family. Thank you guys so much for always listening. Thank you to my family as well. Uh, it means a lot. I appreciate it. Not sure when I'll be in the studio again. I'll keep you guys uh, posted definitely next Tuesday at 7 o'clock. Anyways, thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. As always, I appreciate it. Hope you guys have a good one. Thank you.